Guess what? We are in season seven of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I really like Crave Jerky pink flavor. Also, it's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos, yum, 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 and yum. It's like a dream. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, Crave Jerky, of course, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, how are you this week? What's going on? Alyssa, I'm so happy to hear from you because it means you did not get lost in the woods. Tell me about Rogaining. Was it everything you imagined it would be? You know, it really was. I'm officially a Rogainer and I'm so excited. And it was a really, really cool experience. I can't say like highly enough how much I think if someone's looking for something new to be trying or doing and kind of just like you want to stay fit and active and just need something different. Rogaining is like totally doable and you don't need a mountain what is bike. It? So that's what good. is it? I need to know what exactly is Rogaining? I know you've kind of alluded to it. It's some kind of adventure race, but only on your feet. Yeah. Right? So I think it fall, I still haven't entirely figured out exactly it, what it is, but I believe it's an offshoot of adventure racing, but it's only, it only involves navigation on foot. And sometimes it looks like they have some paddling maybe involved, like there's some paddle events, but that's pretty rare. And so since it's only on foot, then typically you get things like a four hour and eight hour race, or sometimes there are these like two day events, but it seems to be pretty rare. You'd have a Rogaine event that's over two days, just because quite honestly, after two days, I can't imagine doing any more of it. So that's probably why (laughs) that was pretty intense to do it for two full days. I think I jumped in like the deep end fully. So, but yeah, so it's, and a lot of them can be anything from solo categories to teams of four people. And so that discretion seems to lie a lot with like the race organizers and stuff. And so this event that I did, it's called the Stockville. Um, it was up in the Loyal Sock State Forest in Pennsylvania. And the organizers, it was a mandatory teams of two, three, or four. So there were no solos in the event. And they said that was because the the woods up there, actually, they definitely were very remote. And you certainly didn't have cell service really any of the time. So that was why they did not allow solos in this event this year, which is really good because I think had they, I would have been like, oh, I'll just do this on my own. And then... I, I think I said like 30 times throughout the day on Saturday and Sunday that I was really glad I was not alone it's because it was it was something you want to like share with someone else. That's for sure. And were you guys actually, you ladies, the first female team to start and finish this event? We were unsure last week if there had ever been another female team. Yeah. So one of the things with Rogaining is you, you and I think that 
you know, this event in particular, we found out is, is definitely, it's not an easy event. And so I think this is probably pretty common, like with adventure races, it sounds like from talking to people is that the, not necessarily the rules change as you go, but the scoring can kind of change as you go. So I'll actually kind of try and give a brief, brief overview. It's like a choose your own adventure. So you arrive on Saturday and my partner was Courtney. And so we, you get there at 7am and at 8am the race starts, but they give you the maps that's starting at seven when you check in. So you get all these maps and clues and stuff for the day. And it's like, it's a choose your own adventure type of thing. So they have about, you know, each race is always different, but they can have like six to 10 mandatory checkpoints or something we'll say. And then they'll have a variety of bonus checkpoints And so, and then they can, they can even add them as you go. Like sometimes you'll get to an aid station and they'll be like, oh, we have four more bonus points. That could be an option. If you, they'll like hand you a paper, if you want to go for them. And that's like not even on your maps maybe. And so it's like things can kind of change as you go. And then if, since the organizers never set like the same course twice and you never have the same conditions on the course and such things can, everything can be so drastic. You never have the same people racing, you know? So like, I think this event actually had quite a few, beginners and newer people to the sport. So I think they quickly saw through the day, like, Oh, this is actually way harder than we thought it was going to be for these people. So they were making adjustments to the scoring as they, as they went. And like, it was never really a deal breaker, you know, like there was no hard disqualifications at any time. And I think certainly like in the super competitive racing and stuff there, there absolutely would be, I'm sure. But um, you know, my definitely kudos to the Rootville racing team that puts this, this event on. And I think they do a few others in Pennsylvania too, because they've made it super beginner friendly and Courtney and I felt totally welcome the whole time. And we really felt like they wanted us to succeed. Like there was this moment, I think it was around 8 PM. It felt like it was like 1 AM on Saturday and Courtney and I are just on this gravel road and we're just hoping we go in, we're going in the right direction. And then we saw Abby, the race director, in a car, she drives up. So we're like, Oh, okay, well we can't be too far away if she's here, you know? And she's just like, are you still having fun? You know, like that was always her barometer. Whenever she saw us is like, she's like, are you still having fun? You know, because if we weren't, I think she'd be like, you know what? Like, here's another plan for you. Like go do this instead. Because she wanted to make sure that we were, you know, really just learning the sport and taking it in, but we weren't like letting ourselves get so far into the misery side of it that we like really weren't going to ever come back. So that was really, you know, a, definitely a rewarding side to see in the sport. So were you the only female team though? I mean, or, or was it just like the records aren't oh, really yeah. that good and there have been a lot of women? Cause I forgot there's a female to, race director. I forgot it seems to like ask that. There are a lot question. of women. So there hasn't been a female team that finished yet for this race. I think this is like the third or fourth year that it was put on. And this year we tied with the other female team And we actually worked with them a bit on day two. So you're allowed to team up with other teams. And we realized after day one, we had one moment, or I say like one moment, which was really one period of about two hours where I thought we were lost in the woods forever. I didn't know if we were going to make it out. And I was, and yeah, I didn't know. I thought we were hunkering down in the woods to sleep. That's for sure. Um, you were like so, sending smoke signals to Ramona being like, I loved you. You were a great dog. I'll, I'll try I and hope find you get you adopted by another. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So yeah. So after that 
we realized we had a lot of things we could still definitely be learning. And so when we realized you're allowed to be teaming up with other teams and then we kind of, you know, I was like making conversation with some other teams in the morning on Sunday, like (laughs) what plan of attack are you like, what routes are you guys going? You know? And they're like, well, you can come with us if you want. And I was like, yes, like, please, thank you. Oh my gosh. So we got to team up and these people were such badasses, Haley. Like I can't even explain to you the races that they've done. They've done the, the other women's team, Sherry and Mary are 56 and 60 and they would kick my butt in like anything. So Sherry hiked the long trail a few years ago, self-supported in 10 days with her friend. And like, that is legit. I mean, these ladies were like ahead of us, like physically much of the day and they were more fearless than us. And they were totally showing us the ropes because they had a million times more experience than us. I will say, so they did much better than us on day one, but then they made a pretty big navigational error on day two. So that was like how we ended up with the tie because we did definitely did a little bit better on day two ultimately than them. But we had teamed up with another team of three and like that just really helped us on day two kind of get into this rhythm. But it's just why, I mean, it's, it's literally going into the woods for a weekend and exploring and doing things that you just never thought like Haley, you'll be on a trail and you know how like you're on a trail in the woods and you look down off this ledge and there's a river down below So say you're up there and then you look at your map and you're like, oh, okay, that's like where the checkpoint is, is down at the river. And so Courtney and I would be like, okay, we'd look at the map. We'd try and find like a nice gentle trail maybe that was available to like ease us into this checkpoint or something like that. And when we were with the group on Sunday, they were basically like, okay, this is our attack point, like take a bearing. And then they just start dropping down the ledge and like scaling the mountain and going down. And we're like, all right, well, we can't lose them. So I guess we're going, you know, so like. It was just, it's not like you would, you'll never look at trails in the woods and stuff the same because then you get down below and I'm like, oh God, like, how do we get out of this? And like, sure enough, you get out by climbing up the other ridge, you know, and just like waiting until you kind of hit a trail or a landmark that you can kind of pick out on your map to like pinpoint where you are. But we did, they also, the organizers made sure to put some of the checkpoints in some really cool places to make sure you got to really see some stuff. So there was like this old abandoned mine town. And so they put one of the checkpoints like in the entry of this old mine shaft. And then another one was like in the cemetery. And that was kind of creepy, but like, I still want to look it up because there was like 20 graves or something of children in 1836 who had died. So like some epidemic, you know, like it's just kind of interesting things like that. You would never really see or experience otherwise, I guess. It sounds a lot like that marathon we can't talk about (laughs) the race, that race that happens in Bushy park in Tennessee. And you know, that we're not supposed to talk about. I don't think the barometer there is like, are you still having fun? Like if not, okay, we'll just like (laughs) help you. I think Laz Laz wants those athletes to have fun at the Barkley. I think he's, I think he wants you to have fun while also suffering, you know, massively. Maybe he's not quite as nice as Abby, but they sound like they're from the same vein. And he's putting, she's putting checkpoints in cemeteries with children's graves. I think there's a, they're in the same vein, but cool. Congratulations. I think it's, it's cool to hear about you doing this new thing. And I think you're well on your way to a bigger and better row gaining and adventure racing and trail running adventures. So and now you have Sherry and Mary to look up to. I know it's really cool. The sense of community was really cool. And I will say one lesson that I had there, Haley was like, and Courtney actually learned this in her compass class before she came to be my partner. So like this kind of put it like what I was realizing into words. So I didn't come up with this myself, but it's like one of the things you do there is you have to like, 
so many times you'll convince yourself of what you want to see. And so like we would be looking at our maps and we would be looking for a stream and we would literally see like a little trickle of water across the trail and we'd be like, oh, this must be the stream because like we wanted it to be the stream, you know? And so like instead of just like stepping back and using logic and like looking at what we knew that like clearly we weren't, we hadn't gone half a mile yet and like we shouldn't be at a stream. This isn't the stream. Like, you know, it's just a trickle of water, right? We would like literally let our mind convince ourselves that that was the stream that was on the map and the checkpoint should be just around this corner. And like that would lead to so much frustration. And like, it was just, you know, like so many circles literally in the woods that we would walk in because we had convinced ourselves that that was what we wanted to see. And like, as I was thinking about it, I was like, I think we do that a lot. That's like the larger lesson I'm bringing all of the listeners now today. Like we do that a lot in life. And like, the, you know, we convince ourselves so much of what we, we like think we should be seeing or what we want to be seeing instead of just like really looking at the map and then like counting your paces and getting that half mile and getting to like the real stream. Right. So like, I don't know, I haven't fully thought through that lesson, but it's, it's coming. I think as I come out of my like sleep deprived state from the two days of racing. So it kind of reminds me of like wishful recycling. I was reading an article on like wishful recycling. Like when you, uh, you think this item is recyclable and then you throw it into your recycling, but really it isn't. And then it contaminates all your recycling and you shouldn't do that. That actually, yeah, that is similar. <laughs> and I, I like, I feel myself blushing. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I do that all the time. And I always, I'm like, I hope this is okay that I'm doing it. It's probably not, huh? Yeah, especially now that China's not buying our recycling. But that is another topic for another day. I won't go down that. that well, path, while I was lost in the woods, Haley, what were what were you up to this week? Getting back to training. You know, uh, we actually, well, it's Tuesday now. It's election day. Did you vote? I did vote, of course. Yes. Oh, good. So. I just want to make sure because I know you were voting on Tuesday. I did early voting. So I got that in before, you know, before last week, which I'm glad because we have snow today. And yeah, so I think, you know, I was reading a lot about the election and catching up on, you know, all the things I had put off before the race and then getting back into training and catching up on sleep. I did take full advantage of the time change here in the U S where we got an extra hour of sleep Saturday night and I slept a ridiculous amount. Oh, and I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, that movie Ooh. with about Freddie Mercury, which they played, <laughs> we are the champions. And I was like, Alyssa was going to sing this to me. Well, she wasn't. I said she was going to sing this to me. Well, you so still got to listen. See, movie. this is good. The movie was well-timed. <laughs> yeah, so I've been playing lots and lots of Queen music lately, which is hilarious. But um, it, it's pretty good trainer music. I've been playing the soundtrack to A Star is Born because I saw that a couple weeks ago when my mom visited. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. But um, yeah, always a good time of year for movies when it's like dark all the time. And, you know, some people are winding down with their season. So Good to, good to check in on that. And here we have a couple of mailbag questions this week. We do. So Haley, first I will say thank you to Adam. He sent us a link to a Reddit feed, I guess. Is that what Reddit stuff is about like lottery winnings and stuff like that. So that was a good read for us. Always feel free to send a supplemental reading if you, it's, if you want. It basically it's a little terrifying. Terrify yeah. It will terrify <laughs> you and make you never, ever want to win the lottery. And I think Alyssa, you dodged a bullet not winning that lottery. If <laughs> I don't you know. I still want to win. I'll, I'll figure it out as it I like go. <laughs> increases your chance of homicide by like 20 times. I I have heard that people would try and kidnap Ramona and that part does terrify me because that would be awful. So hire, like maybe that it says like first thing you hire a lawyer and then second thing would probably be hire a like bodyguard for Ramona. Yeah, but that's fine. I have 1.6 billion. I could, I can hire, I can do hire someone to do everything. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that was an interesting article. Thank you, Adam. 
And but we do have some other mailbag come in. So our lovely editor, Erin, has a question and she wants to know that this is funny because I I feel like this is something that people always wonder, actually. She's watching races like Kona on TV or in person, and she wants to know where the heck are pros keeping their nutrition, specifically on the bike. So we're all now wearing like pretty tight fitting skin suit type of outfits. And so you should see the food if it's like in the pockets or wherever it is. And she's not seeing that or she's not even really seeing compartments on the bike, only bottles. And then on the run, you don't see people really carrying hydration or food often either. So where's the food? Are we taking in liquid calories? Do we get support vehicles like in professional cycling or grab whatever's at the aid stations? I don't know. Haley, it would be really nice if you could have like a little personal support support vehicle. vehicle. That would change the (laughs) game a lot, obviously. But um, unfortunately, that is not uh, how we do it. So I, I think a lot of pros tend to like streamline nutrition and do more liquid based calories. So I do think that's a a big factor. What do you think, Haley? I think that is it. I think in a race like Kona, there are actually a lot of aid stations. And so if you did want, you know, I think there was a lot of talk about Heather Jackson's banana and Lake Placid that she's shoved in her back pocket or was eating at one point. And so if you do want to grab those, you have a lot of opportunities and it isn't something that is usually caught on camera. I think the cameras usually kind of like pan out because no one really wants to watch someone eat a banana. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. But, eating even eating like your bot, like drinking from your bottles is just not very like fun to watch as it's like spraying everywhere. And yeah. yeah so I, I have food on my bike, but again, I think it's just mostly what you see on TV, you don't see every second of the race. So you're not seeing it, but they are eating, you know, and, and a lot of bikes these days do have like built in compartments, you know, like we, we see them with built in, you know, fuel, you know, nutrition bladders where they might put like a liquid calorie drink and, or a built in bento box where they might put their, um, you know, any kind of solid nutrition. My diamond has like the top compartment is called the lunch box because that's like where they encourage everyone to put their food and stash that. And so, it's great. Yeah. But so but it might like be really hiding in there. Arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Arrow yeah. And streamline. So it is, they are eating pros. Don't, you don't develop this. You get your pro card and all of a sudden you don't need to eat anymore. And while you're racing, no, you still need to eat, but maybe not as much as an age grouper. Cause you're not out there as long, but I think it's just more that you don't see it on TV. Yeah. And if you think about on the run too, right. So like if you're going to run about three hours, that's going to look a lot different than someone who maybe is getting ready to run four and a half or five hours or something like that. So just the literally the volume of what you're carrying is going to be different. And since you are out there less time, you can like, again, you're probably just trying to streamline things as much as you can. But great question. We're not, you know, there's, there's really no, no secret and we are definitely not robots. (laughs) Haley, we have one more question come in from Julie. And so you actually got to meet Julie in at Waco, which is exciting. So thanks. Yay. Hi, Julie. (laughs) And so she is wondering if we have any issues with our joints since we train and race so much. She's 37, has an active active job as a dolphin trainer, which is awesome. And she sent us a super cool picture of her kissing a dolphin, which is really cute. She's completed 270.3s and she's noticed that her bones and joints crack and make noise way more than ever before. They aren't sore or hurting. They just make the noise. So she wants to know if we are using like supplements or anything like that um, or if this is like something she should worry about or keep her away from Ironman distance or anything like that. So Haley, what do you think? Just noise and no soreness. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) I think that sounds, I mean, that sounds maybe like, 
I mean, I do a lot of, um, maintenance work, you know, just kind of, I'm not a very flexible person and I don't know if triathlon necessarily like, you know, trends toward flexible people, especially with the running and lots of just straightforward line movement. But I do a lot of almost daily, like maintenance work for like my hips and my glutes. And that seems to help you know, help me. I am sore some mornings, you know, I wake up and I'm sore, but as long as it's not pain, I think you're okay. And I think it, it's probably, you know, just part of being an athlete. Yeah, I agree. I think like the noises and stuff I've, I've probably just gotten used to hearing. Um, and anyone who sees me in the morning will be like, are you okay? Because yeah, it takes me quite a long while to like get up and get moving and feel like any sort of normalness and that ebbs and flows. And you do, you have to be on top of things like body work and stuff like regular massage will help, you know, even joints and stuff like that because everything is just so connected. And Haley, we were talking about the, the long warm up and how we're fans of that. So, you know, I swim with the master's group and I, I was saying like, I get crushed in the warm up all the time because it'll take me like 4,000 before. And I mean, not that long all the time, but some days it does. And, you know, it's, it just takes a long time for your body to get going again, especially when you start doing a lot of volume, but that's normal. I think that's like totally normal. You just can't like let it get to your head when other people who maybe not aren't training that much and feeling that much training stress on them are able to kind of zip through warm ups and stuff like that. Like don't get pulled into the trap. Oh, that is such good advice. I, I love my long, slow warm ups in swim, bike and run and, I have had people comment, you know, like, I can't believe you run this slow. Like if they're running warm up with me, I know that my coach has like, when I lived in Atlanta, he said I was the only person I, he could actually run with during warm up because I was the only person who went slow enough out of all of his athletes. And I, I do, especially when you're training for Ironman, it just takes you a while to get going. And I think I also just give myself that time to, you know, just settle in because when I'm having a, you know, I have a hard session like there's no need to rush into that. I think you just, you allow yourself like time to like get warmed up. And it's amazing how sometimes in those first five minutes, you can be feeling terrible, but maybe 20 minutes in you're feeling great. And it just, you know, it is just allowing your body to warm up. And that is something that I will do for the rest of my athletic career and probably life. <laughs> and so thanks for sending in the questions, guys. If you have other questions, you can send them at any time to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we do have an interview this week. We are talking to Jen Spieldener, and she is the most recent Ironman champion of Ironman Louisville, which, as we all know, was definitely interesting day. I guess you could say it was raining and 40 degrees there. So she had some different conditions to contend with, which we'll talk to her about. But Jen has been in the sport for quite a while. I think, you know, like 15 years or something is, is what she told us since she did her first race and she's done ITU racing and then has moved obviously into Ironman racing, but she's done 70.3s for a bit too, and actually has won four of those. Um, she also has three dogs, which we love and is a member of the triathlon squad through her career for a while now. So we talked to her about all of that good stuff after a word from our sponsors. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave Meat Snacks are made with tender, gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. 
You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at CraveJerky.com. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, guys. How are you? We're good. We're excited to chat with you today. And first up to talk to you all about is probably what everyone wants to hear about these days from you is that you recently raced and won Ironman Louisville, which was your first Ironman win, which is super exciting in and of itself. But then to happen at Louisville this year, which was nothing short of like a non-typical Ironman day, I think it actually probably is what a lot of people fear sometimes happening in Ironman. So there was not only you had to deal with a shortened swim, but it was also the weather conditions looked less than ideal. I think it was in the 40s and raining on you guys, which probably made for some super interesting conditions. So we just want to hear about your day. And I know that's a, a really you know big question for you, but we're excited to hear kind of how it went for you uh, taking all of those challenges along the way. Uh, yeah, I think uh, for my first Ironman, it definitely was quite challenging. But as anyone knows that has done an Ironman, they're challenging in itself, I guess. So, I mean, I don't know. You're, yeah, you definitely are asking a big question. How'd my day go? The day was hard. There's a lot of stuff that can happen when you're racing for nine hours. I guess theoretically, it was a little bit under nine hours since the swim was shortened. I had a lot of drama right in the first 20 minutes that I thought to myself, oh my God, if this is all happening to me now in these 20 minutes, like what's the rest of the day going to be like? Yeah. I mean, the swim was shortened, which wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it was a big deal for me as a swimmer, but I mean, it is what it is. They made the right call. Like the second buoy, I talked about this before, was like a moving target down the river. And Sarah, uh, I was swimming with Sarah Haskins. She got around it and I didn't like I had to shove my arm out to stop it. And when I did that, I got sucked under. <gasps> so that was a bit scary. And then she got me and I don't know how I closed the gap back to her, but I did. We kind of exited together. And then I had some drama in T1 with my vest zipper breaking. And like, I think I, I think I maybe told Haley, like I looked naked when I went out compared to uh, Lisa, when I saw pictures of Lisa and, um, I don't know the girl that got second. I forget her name, but they were like totally bundled up. And I went out in my race suit and some arm warmers and cotton gloves, <laughs> maybe not the best thing. And then like also too, when I went to grab my bike, the bottle that I had mounted in between my bars, just like seared off. It just like came off. So that was definitely not, I was like, Oh my God, what's the rest of the day going to be like? Uh, yeah. But I mean, obviously actually like, to be honest, the rest of the day was relatively uneventful yeah I mean the cold conditions were really really hard uh, I tend to do well in that though I don't know if it's like my body type if I, my coach doesn't I told him I just kept telling myself uh, I wasn't cold <laughs> but I think he's like that's only part of it Jen and he's he's right but I think in a lot of it you need to like keep your mind off of it if you just start thinking about how cold you are I mean, yeah, you're going to feel really, really cold, but 
I just tried to keep my mind off of it. And it, it helped the second lap. There were a lot of, there's a lot of traffic with the age groupers and cars that your mind was totally off of. You were just focusing on passing people and making sure you were safe and that type of stuff. So that was helpful. And, um, have you guys, have you guys peed yourself on the bike? Not when it's 40 degrees. I know. Does that feel good or does that feel terrible? I didn't like, yeah, I did it four times, four times. Uh, warm up. Did it help you warm up? It felt really good to like warm up. I, someone asked me before the race, like, do you pee yourself on the, I was like, no, I'm like, I guess I'll find out on Sunday. And yeah, I, I can pee myself while riding. So yeah, that definitely kept me warmer. I would say. Other than that, I got all my nutrition in. I was maybe a hundred calories shorter than I wanted to be. Yeah, I think the cold that helped nutritionally like digest that and stuff like that. I understand that when you're going at a higher intensity, that sometimes it doesn't absorb. I think the cold allowed it maybe to absorb a bit better. Also, too, I know when it's cold, people are like, Oh, we don't you don't need nutrition, you don't need this. But yeah, you you definitely need you need to be taking it all in. So Jen Often we are asking people about tips for racing in the heat because we look at this weather report for the upcoming race and it always seems to look like it's going to be really hot. But in your case in Louisville, did you know that it was going to be cold before, you know, you traveled to the race and did you pack anything specific? You, you mentioned your vest, you mentioned arm warmers and gloves. Were those things you packed ahead of time to, you know, prepare for the race? Or was that something that you had to pick up last minute kind of scrambling once you realized it was going to be in the forties? So, no, I think, I think the weather, I was checking the weather a month out from Louisville watching it and yeah, our, our, the Midwest in that area was very hot. We had a really hot fall and it just, I think like earlier in the week, it was like insanely hot. Basically that front came through maybe on like Thursday before the race, but I did, I watched it and I knew it was coming. So yeah, I was prepared, uh, for the, the weather to be like that. I think I packed, I packed more than what I even decided to wear had a lot of different options. My coach and I went back and forth with wearing like a, a skin, like skin tight top, but I was like really apprehensive about swimming with it and getting on the bike with it being wet. Uh, I wanted to put it on after the water and he was against that after the swim. And he said, no, but then I wasn't for wearing it in the swim. So then I just came up, we just decided the vest, the warmers and the gloves. And I did, I did Victoria this year as well. And it was in the low fifties and I don't think I wore anything. Yeah. Fifties. It's different if it's rainy, right? If it's wet, when it's wet, it changes everything. So did you put like everything in your T1 bag and then, you know, use it all? Or was it like, Nope, these are your only options. I don't want any extra decisions to be made. And you only put the minimum amount of, of clothing in T1. No, no. I only, I only put on, I only put into T1 what I was going to wear. That's it. The only thing is, is that, you know, like your special needs bag, I put in a raincoat, but somebody told me that special needs can be like an insane, like circus. So I, I just decided to not stop. I was like, you're not cold enough to stop. And I think like in those situations, when it's cold like that, if you stop, it's just going to be worse you're going to get more cold. I mean, I, I've ridden, I've like trained in colder conditions 
And every time I stop to like refill my bottles or get a Red Bull or something like this, when I start biking again, it's like I'm freezing for 30 minutes. And that's like was significantly more closed. So yeah, I didn't want to stop. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. I think your strategy too, to just like not let yourself think too much about being cold and Virginia doesn't get too cold, but I can right outside all year long. And it's like, you just can't let your mind sometimes drift away to like how cold it really is. Cause you can usually power through if you need to, but that's super impressive what you were able to do, especially in your first one. And then winning in Louisville also qualified you for Kona of 2019. So big congratulations there. And Thank how does you. it feel to have that already like behind you? And have you thought about what your 2019 build will look like now since you have so much notice before getting ready for the big island? No, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm super excited that I already qual. Like, that's amazing. To be honest, like, I never, one of my, I never really had the goal to go to Kona. And I, when I had the opportunity to take that slot, that's something you just don't pass up. Um, I think it's, it's just, I've heard the race is something, it's just like nothing else, like no other race you'll ever do. And so it's definitely something I want to do in my career. So yeah, for sure took the slot. Now I'm currently in my off season break. My coach gives me, I think normally I get about four weeks off. And we try to really like disengage and not really think about triathlon related stuff. So no, I, we haven't planned anything for 2019 yet. I could see potentially doing like a mid season Ironman just since I've only done one, <laughs> I think maybe to have a little bit more knowledge of like what happened. Cause like there is a lot that goes on and I'm not ignorant enough to think that, Oh my God, my first one went relatively smooth. My next one's going to go smooth. Like there's, the distance is humbling. There's so much stuff that can happen. So obviously like having like another one under my belt and having a little bit more to learn about it and stuff like that could only, only help. I definitely want to still focus on 70.3s. This is how I make my money. I, I do this full time. I think if I just would focus on Ironman, yeah, I just, you want to be able to race as much and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, obviously having already qualified is huge. Because, yeah, I can focus solely on that rate on Kona next year and make sure I'm ready to really have a good race there. In completely different conditions, or so we expect. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I guess we never know what to expect these days. <laughs> but um, it seems like you do well in tough conditions, so that has to um, give you a little bit of confidence. Jen, I did want to ask, because it looks like you sent, you spent some time training in Flagstaff, Arizona this past summer. And that's not normally known as a kind of triathlon hotbed. We hear of a lot of runners going to Flagstaff, but I'm curious about what makes Flagstaff so great for training and does it work for triathletes? I mean, it obviously does work, but you know, is it weird being one of the few triathletes there or are there a bunch of triathletes and we just don't know about it? Okay. So we, the, the group I'm part of the triathlon squad, we've been going to Flagstaff, I think since 2013. Yeah. in the summer 2013 was our first year. Yep. And then I've gone there with them every year, except last year I went there alone, but this past year. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know Joel Filial's group. Uh, he was there, that group was there and some of the Netherlands group was there. So there was actually more ITU people. Um, but there was a quite a, a decent group of triathletes there. I think Flagstaff, I mean, it's at 7,000 feet. So it's at altitude, which is a huge part of, yeah, I think I really adapt well to that type of training. And yeah, I think the running, yeah, obviously, because runners all go there, the running's like nothing else. I've never run There's so many trail options. It's like ridiculous. They have a great pool for NAU. The cycling isn't that great. 
a lot of people complain about how boring it is because you just have like Lake Mary Road. Maybe this is why I'm also good at Iron Man because that stuff doesn't bother me. I just don't care. I, I want them to come train with me in Finley, Ohio. It's it's terrible. <laughs> uh, so I think like I, things don't, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's just boring. Like you're riding in the cornfields and stuff like that. I train alone. And so, yeah, for me, like Lake Mary Road isn't that bad because it's just, it's nice. It's pretty. So I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like stuff is amazing. It's one of my favorite places. Do you yeah. think growing up as a swimmer kind of helps you with the boredom that can come with triathlon? Because as a swimmer, you follow a black line back and forth for a long time. And then, you know, just seeing the same road, at least it's more than 50 meters, right? <laughs> yeah, well, heck, growing up, we didn't swim 50 meters. We only have 25-yard pools here in Finley. But, yeah, I mean, yes. I think swimming does teach you – I think swimming is just a great sport. It teaches you really good work ethic and – how to suffer. And you do a lot of volume and a lot of yards and it's, a, yeah, you're right. You're hundred percent right. It's extremely boring. I mean, and we used to do five K time trials. Like who would want to swim five? And I was good at it. I really like them <laughs> so, again. Why well, I'm probably good at Ironman, but yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that definitely is a recipe for <laughs> Ironman success there. So that's good. And so you just mentioned that you've been a member of the triathlon squad and you've been with them for at least since 2013, it sounds like. Do you think that that consistency has been a part of your success through the years, you know, staying with one coach and one group and having people in a squad to meet with and train with throughout the season? Oh, a hundred percent. I actually, I joined Paulo in the group when he started it back in 2011. It was at the end of 2010, but the yeah, the first full year was 2011. So I've actually been with him for eight years. Yes. I think there is something to be said with staying with the coach. I mean, obviously you see people switch and, you know, want to move on and stuff like that. But I have found that him and I work really, really well together. I believe in him a hundred percent. I think that is a huge component of, you know, having a successful coach athlete relationship is trusting each other and, having the belief in what you're doing. I honestly don't want to work with anyone else. I, yeah. I just, I don't know. And then also having the component of having the group, even though it's moved, there's only the four of us, I think now doing long course, but still having that stimulus of having other people that are better than you push you and, you know, take you out of your comfort zone. And there's, it's always, you're always learning about yourself and, you're always in an environment that challenges you. And that's it. That's what makes you better. And I, yeah, honestly, like joining him and joining that group was, it changed my career. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I've won, I don't know, it's like four seventy point threes and now an Ironman under him. And I don't know, like, I don't know if I'd still be racing or be having success if it wasn't for him. So yeah, no, huge part. Well, and it sounds like you've grown to the point that you know, you guys discuss like what you're going to be wearing when it's 40 degrees and raining and he wants, he suggests one thing and you suggest the other, you know, and you, you're able to work together, you know, each other and you can find kind of the medium there and stuff. But what was the conversation like when you were looking at doing your first Ironman and was it, you know, something Paulo suggested to you? Was it something you brought up to him and you know, who kind of was the first one to suggest it? And then, you know, if, if it was him, did you, just trust that it was, you know, he knew it was time for you to step up the distance. 
Oh, it was a hundred percent me. It was me that suggested it. I said, when I wrote my goals to him at the beginning of this year, I said, I wanted to race an Ironman. And we really honestly didn't talk about it until we were in Flagstaff again. And I said, I, I think I, I think I, I it, to be honest, like racing an Ironman scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> um, and then, so telling him for sure that I wanted to do it took a lot of, I don't know, like I was a lot of courage to be like, I want to do this for sure now. And when I told him, he was just like, Jen, you can do whatever you want. He's like, it's going to be a really long day. And yeah, I mean, he has always supported He doesn't tell you what you're going to do. It's kind of like a collaborative, like a collaborative type effort. He wants your input. He wants you to be a hundred percent on board and then he supports it. Now, if he doesn't think it's a good idea, like I, I wanted to race Augusta and he was like, no, you're not racing Augusta, you know, three weeks. I think that was three weeks before Louisville. So he didn't like, he said no to that. And that was the right call. But yeah, for the most part, like I go to him with my race ideas and yeah, he's, he's very supportive on them. Yeah, that's good. And Jen, while you are new to the full distance Ironman scene, you're not new to triathlon. You mentioned your many 70.3 wins and I believe you started your career racing drafting racing ITU draft legal racing and actually you know had a lot of success you were on the US national team targeting the 2012 Olympics and ultimately that was derailed by an injury so how did you manage to stay motivated you know through that disappointment and then you know transfer that into so much long course non-drafting success that's a good question i think in 2012 that was maybe my 12th stress fracture <laughs> I shouldn't giggle. It's not funny, but yeah, I mean, that was pretty disappointing. I know Polo and I sat down after that and we decided that we were going to try to do some 70.3s. And I, I did my first one at the end of 2012 and I, I wouldn't say I liked it right away. And our original plan was for me to switch back to, to draft legal, like leading into like the 2016, like, like in 2014 when they started the Olympic qualification again. But I was having like, at that point I was, getting better at the 70.3 distance and having some success. And for me, like I'd rather win races and I could see myself doing that at the 70.3 distance versus getting like 20 to 30th at the ITU circuit. It just wasn't, I don't think my run would ever have been maybe, I don't know, maybe not. It's just not quick enough to be winning or in that top 10 type situation. So I'm not, I guess I probably didn't really answer the question you just asked. Did I? Well, you got it, but your motivation, you know, I guess, I guess it was just from, from that early success, like that just kept you in the sport and kept you kind of gave you something new to focus on. Yeah. I think like the thing that, yeah, I mean, totally like it's just the different distance, like it's a, oh, it's kind of a different sport and even preparing for this Ironman, even though I did only did a three week build, I mean, I feel more in love with the sport because I, I was able to be ignorant again. I don't know if you guys can relate, like you just yeah, I've been racing a long time. Like I did my first try maybe in 2003 and then I got into the ITU circuit like in 2004 and did that for eight years. And I think you get to a point where I wouldn't say it's boring cause it's not boring, but I don't know. It's just, you kind of, you know, what's going to happen and stuff like that. But with the full for me, especially like I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I didn't even know if I was going to finish. So like that type of excitement and not knowing was, I guess more than not knowing was what was exciting for me. 
yeah, kind of re relit my love for the sport. Yeah. And Jen, you talked about your stress fractures that you've had through your career and with 12 of them, you've also been vocal about the fact that you've had a personal struggle with an eating disorder, which was kind of the catalyst for that. And it also led to a diagnosis of osteoporosis when you were 18. So I'd love to talk to you more about this. And this is kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, a hot topic right now in the media, you know, to shift to kind of a strong as the new skinny motif instead of promoting like very thin, lean bodies as being the athletic type. So, but it still seems that there is that stigma out there for young female athletes. So what do you think we can do to change this? And is there anything someone could have told you when you were in your teens and later that could have helped you, you know, away from that path at an earlier age? Yeah, that's, that's hard. I think the problem is, I mean, for me, I just had a, when you're, when you're young, you're impacted so greatly by what people tell you that the people that you look up to, right. So like coaches or adults or older athletes or anybody like that, like you really like what they say you think is like the Bible. Like you just think it's the truth. Yeah. And I just got a comment from a coach, my swim coach, and it just, it changed, like it, it changed how I, I don't know. It, it wasn't like I automatically stopped eating. It was like this slow process. And the thing that's so crazy is that, yeah, when I did start to lose weight, I did start swimming faster. So you get that positive reinforcement and then, you know, then you take it, you just keep like, well, I don't need to eat that. You know, I don't need to eat that. And then you just continually to like lose weight. And then it gets to a point where, yeah, you're not swimming faster and you're really, really unhealthy. And then you have people telling you, yeah, you need to gain weight and all. And it's just super conflicting as like a 13 and 14 year old to be hearing that you're just too young. You don't know. You don't know yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and then people are just trying to help you. Like my parents, they tried to get me into therapy and counseling. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's a good question. Like, how can you change it? Maybe educating the adults on how to communicate coaches and stuff like that. Because I mean, you know how you were when you were 13, 14, 15, you're just, you're insecure. You don't know who you are. Yeah. I, I don't know. For you, what, what was the catalyst that helped you get healthy? Was it the injuries? Was it the osteoporosis diagnosis? Was it someone, you know, saying the right thing to you? I don't, no, I don't think anyone said anything, the right thing to me. I think for me, I just had enough of it. It was just, I mean, heck, I had it for 12 years, 13 years. It was just enough. I think for me, I just decided I didn't want it to control me anymore. I wanted to start just making the process to get healthy and be healthy with food. And yeah, it was, it was pretty much a internal decision. Enough was enough. Yeah. And like the injuries, like I lost so much time. Yeah. I mean, obviously it is what it is now, but yeah, the injuries were super disappointing, but yeah. And we realize like eating disorders, they don't just, like you said, it doesn't start in a day and doesn't go away in a day. Are there any things that you work on now just to keep yourself healthy? Yeah. I mean, for me, like doing sport and being like doing this, it's, if you view food as like the, I view food now more as like, it's my tool. Like I use it as a tool to help me be able to do what I want to do. Right. So I need to eat this so I can perform. I I just have, I look at it in a different light. Like food isn't the enemy. It's, 
it's the good thing. Like you need it to recover. You need it to perform. And I think if you view it that way, and I don't count calories, I don't care. Like when I come home from a hard workout, it's like I need my recovery smoothie and I'm going to put in everything I need. So I make sure I recover and I'm not, I don't care if I like put in four berries or 10 berries. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just put in what you need. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that even answers the question. Yeah. I think those are good tips. I mean, cause it is something that I think you don't have to have an eating disorder necessarily like a diagnosis to know that, you know, to have a healthy relationship with food and it can be hard when we're all running around in spandex or like in a swimsuit, even though we know being, you know, there's different body types that are do so well in this sport. It's still hard when you, when you are, you know, on display, like we are and the pictures come out everywhere and it's so easy to be critical of ourselves. So I think it's always good to hear from people being like, Hey, no, it's, it is good to be strong and you can, you know, be a really good athlete and eat very healthy. Yeah. So, and like you're, and it's hard too, cause you're right. Like people, I think in society today, people just make comments, right. About our bodies, what we look like and all this stuff. And I mean, that's not going to stop. You can't like make people stop making comments, but you can control how you take them in and process them and what you do with them. Cause you, I mean, at the end of the day, you're only in control of yourself. You cannot control everyone else. So I think for me, that's been a huge part is just when these comments come in, take them for what they are, Jen, you know, process them, don't overthink or overanalyze and, you know, internalize them, just let them go. People can have, people can have their comments or whatever they want to say about you, but it it doesn't matter. It only matters what you think of yourself. So. It is crazy how people love to throw in their two cents. I think Haley and I have both kind of, you know, bonded before because there's always someone who wants to email you after a race and you may have never met this person (laughs) and have no clue how they found you or know anything about you. And they'll tell you what they think of your race and how you did. And it's like, without fail, it's just like, where do these people come from? So, you know, for anyone out there, maybe think about keeping some comments to yourself if you're one of those people, right? So. Or you can vent. You can vent to our mailbag. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Send it. comments into we, the mailbag, and we'll address we them to you. Comments. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know it's not just about how you look. It can be about anything. It's like I don't like your, you know, hair length. Yeah. <laughs> or like it's how you look, or like I don't know, just your shoes look like they're you know, on the, I don't know, they look wrong. And you're like, what? (laughs) Or where they're like, why did you, you know, run so slow? And I'm like, that was a PR run. What are you talking about? (laughs) Research me before you email, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jen, so you did say that you were taking your off season break right now. Um, what does that look like for you? Like, what are you doing? And do you have any tips for the listeners who might be, you know, I think a common struggle is like, not embracing the off season. So how do you manage to embrace that time off? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that, you know, just the last few years, I feel like I've actually done my off season, right? I think for me, it's like, you know, you, you make a lot of sacrifices the 11 months out of the year, right. To train and you're on a schedule and you can't do what you want to do. You can't sometimes do things with family and friends. So for me, like, especially the last two years, I made the conscious decision that well, I, I exercise. So I'm not training. I'm exercising. I still want to stay active. I still get in the pool, but I like find people to swim with or, you know, I, I bought a cross bike last year and I, 
my husband has a cross bike and we'll go out and ride that together. And same with running. Like I'm not going to run alone. Or if I run, I'm going to run with my dog. If I'm going to run alone, I'm going to run with my dog. Cause I don't get to do that when I'm training type thing. So just, I try to do the things I can't do during the year that I want to do that kind of fill my, my pot, like to, I don't know. I don't know how you would describe the pot, but like your, your emotional pot or something like that. So you can, you drain it right when you have to make sacrifices and all this stuff. It's just trying to recharge my system, recharge my batteries, uh, make sure I'm ready to go. And yeah, cause training and doing this professionally is hard. It's not easy. Yeah. Just, but you don't want to like stop doing, you don't want to do nothing, but you definitely need to dial it back. Not really focused on like, I need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Like this isn't, yeah, no, this isn't the time to be stressed out. This is the time to enjoy and be social. And like I go to, I do some spin classes with my mom cause that's fun. <laughs> uh, stuff like this. So yeah, it's good. Spin classes with mom. I love it. That's super cool. <laughs> Jen, since you have been in the sport for, I guess, around 16 years and you've raced all over the world, we always like to ask people about their favorite races, you know, some kind of a must do event anywhere in the world that is one of your favorites. When I was racing in my ITU days, my favorite was uh, Lausanne, Switzerland. I just love Switzerland. That's probably my favorite country. Yeah. But from a 70.3 distance, like racing kind of, I, I more race now, uh, in the U S and Canada, I don't really branch out. Uh, but I really, I don't know if you guys have raced, but Mont Tremblant, that's just amazing. That's one of my favorite, one of my favorite races, just how the whole town like embraces the race. The course is great. Just the people there. Uh, one of that's one of my favorite races. I love Victoria. I mean, I, yeah. Wildflower was awesome. <laughs> Louisville was great. I was actually surprised how great Louisville was, to be honest. People were telling me it was great, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then actually, it really was great. So, um, yeah, that was that finish line is amazing. Have you guys done Louisville? Yeah, it was Haley. That's it was your first met. one, yeah, right? It was your it first, was first my, one. It was my second. It was my okay. second Ironman. Okay, that's where Alyssa and I met yeah. as age groupers. <laughs> Back when it was in August and we were melting, <laughs> we met at an aid station. <laughs> We were walking. <laughs> that was from back in the days. Well, I think that we've talked about that because Katie Blakemore was there too or something. Like there's been yeah. and it was so hot. And like I like made Kona with like a like a 420 run split. Like people were passing out. That's why it was so funny to watch. I mean, not funny, but in a different way to watch your race this year where everyone's freezing. Because <laughs> when Alyssa and I did that race, it was like the surface of the sun. It was so hot. Yeah. And I if we would have raced the weekend before it would have been, it was like 90. It would not like, it wouldn't have been like August heat and humidity, but it would have been hot and it would have been, I'm not as great in the heat and the humidity. We're, I finally think Polo and I kind of figured it out. I did have kind of a, I, I ran the best I've ever run in the heat and humidity last year at Miami. So I think we've kind of figured it out how I can do well in it. So that's why, yeah, I'm, yeah. But the colder conditions are a lot easier for me, but yeah. Anyways. I do think the cold was like a one-off thing here though. So anyone who's thinking of Louisville, it is a great race. I still say that too. I think you're probably pretty safe next year to expect some more decent weather there. <laughs> I've heard it's wonderful in October that it's usually like perfect weather now. And that is one of the coolest finish lines. I mean, it is under yeah. fourth street live with all the lights and all those restaurants and everything. It's a and super they cool pound, They pound on the, did they pound on the side for you guys? 
don't know. I don't know. We weren't yeah. winning. I know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I need to go back and try to win that. They didn't one do that around 12 hours, but maybe, maybe they did three hours earlier. I'm not sure. <laughs> but Jen, so we did, I did some reading with, of stuff on you and I found out, so I, I think I have this right, that your degrees are in psychology and organizational behavior. But then I also read that you eventually have said you want to, to sit for the CPA exam. So I guess I have a lot of questions about this because I'm like, you just won your first Ironman. How are you even thinking about like post triathlon life? Right. So is that something that is kind of on your mind already? Or is that just like, oh, I think this would be something down the road. And then the next obvious question, I guess, is why a CPA? And yeah, maybe, why a yeah, CPA? maybe you and That's Haley can crazy. bond over that. <laughs> is, Haley, are you a are you a CPA? I, I am a CPA. Yes. My past <laughs> life, I was a CPA. Yes. Why? Why a CPA? Because <laughs> uh, you can make good money. <laughs> you can make good money. I'll give you that. And it, you can't, they're always hiring. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a job security. You have good job security with that job. I mean, so when I was an undergrad, I was psych. My, my, my bachelor's is in and I was pre-med. I thought I wanted to go to med school, but then I decided I wanted to do triathlon. So med school wasn't for me. And then a few years ago, I kind of just started thinking like, what am I going to do after triathlon? Because like right now I have a bachelor's in psych, which is basically a worthless, I shouldn't say that, but it's not, I need to have something else to have a job. And so I thought, I always kind of thought like, would I go the PA route, like be a physician's assistant or would I be a CPA? And I know that seems like insane. Like, oh my God, they're totally different things. But if you know me, it kind of makes sense why I would go in the two different directions. But um, I think the, my mom kind of talked me out of the PA routes. She's an NP, she's a nurse practitioner. And so then I could do my MBA online and I did it. It took me a long time. I was just taking one class at a time because yeah, doing triathlon takes, that's like my full time thing that I want to do, but, um, and full focus on that. But yeah, I did get my MBA and yeah, eventually I still need to do some accounting courses and my bachelor's is in psychology. And some advisor told me I would just need to have my MBA to sit for the CPA. Yeah. I was getting some wrong information, but yeah, I still need the 30 hours of accounting to be able to sit for it. So that's like down the road. It's just like, it's hard when you're a woman. I mean, I I want kids. So it's kind of like, I I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm still totally hundred percent invested in triathlon, but it's just something I think like, yeah, when, when I finally transition out of the sport and I have a career and stuff like that, I think knowing kind of what you want to do will make that transition a little bit easier. I have had so many friends kind of struggle with the transition where they, they, they stop, they retire and they're like, now what the hell am I going to do? You know what I mean? And I think if you kind of have a kind of an idea, I, I hope that transition will be easier. Yeah. Obviously I don't know when that transition is going to happen, but yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think that's super cool to have a plan. And I joke about being a CPA, but accounting is actually, I loved it. I mean, it's a great profession. And I think now there are a lot of firms, the firm I worked for, it was very family friendly, mom friendly. I mean, it can be a great lifestyle. So I think you're on a good route. I don't know much about being a nurse practitioner, so I can't weigh in on that option, but (laughs) being a certified public accountant is actually fantastic. And I, I'm happy with that. And I imagine 
you will all go back to that someday. And I also think that being a professional triathlete does teach you a lot about running a small business and that would help you a lot going in back into a financial kind of career. Yeah. I Mine think so. Sense. There's Haley's like Haley's career advice. <laughs> No, thank you. I appreciate it. No, thank you. (laughs) Maybe we could open up a firm together. (laughs) That would be fun. That could be fun. But you might have, well, we could have to do it remotely because I don't know if I, I mean, Ohio sounds great, but (laughs) I kind of like the mountains of the snow here in Montana, but (laughs) you make it sound pretty nice. Corn could be cool too. (laughs) No, we want to, yeah, I I don't think we're 100% stuck in Ohio. We we do want to move eventually. So yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll move to Montana. We could open up there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And where can our listeners, you know, you are in off season, but where can our listeners follow you as you head into 2019? Do you have Instagram, a blog, anything like that? I do have Instagram. Would you like my handle? Of course. We'll put it in our show notes so it's easy for everyone to find, but it's good to say it too. It's uh, just at Jen Spieldenner. Uh, That's my handle for Instagram, my handle on Twitter is just at Spielder. And yeah, you can follow me on Facebook. I don't have a blog though. So yeah, it's just my name, Spieldenner, but then it's hyphenated with Whitaker. So yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Jen, for talking. And we're excited to watch you get ready for Kona next year. Congratulations again. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, Alyssa, I need your input on this. Hot race versus cold race do you change your nutrition? I, I don't change like what I, how I get my calories, I guess, you know, so I'll still use the same things that I'm taking in, but I've always thought that I do better and feel better in the cold when I take more calories in. And I always kind of thought this was because my body was working harder to even just stay warm one. And then it also has to fuel me through the race. Right. So my rule of thumb has always been to like overload calories, if anything, when I'm racing in the cold. And that's always seemed to sit well, you know, I don't know if it's, I believed it. So it worked kind of thing. Um, but in the hot, it is, it's harder to kind of process that stuff. And I think when you're racing in the hot, like everyone's going to feel super nauseous and kind of bad like that at times, you know, and you don't get that quite as much in the cold. So I feel like you have more of a cushion to try and I feel like it's so hard to like overdo calories and an Ironman, especially. So why not take the chance to like get more in if it's a little cooler, but I don't know. What do you do? I do similar. I mean, I've never raced an Ironman in 40 degrees, so I don't know if I would change things up. I think in that case, I would probably just have problems. Like when your fingers get cold, sometimes it's hard to get yourself to eat, you know, just because you don't, or drink because you just don't want to get even colder. Or it's so the I admire- nutrition's freezing, you know, like it's right. like literally frozen. <laughs> Right. So I admire Jen for, you know, sticking to her nutrition and figuring that out, especially in her first Ironman. And, um, I think it just shows that everyone is pretty individual and there are challenges with hot races and there are challenges with cold races, but I guess we don't do this sport because it's for a lack of challenge. (laughs) Good point. Right. So like, what's one more thrown at us? We'll just, we'll just take it. Yes. But always big congrats to Jen on her win there. And, I think, I think she's going to do just as well in the hot conditions in Kona. I think it's more about being a strong, tough athlete. And she obviously is that, but, um, cool interview. And as always, if you have mailbag questions, you can write us at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a few minutes, please go ahead and leave us a review or rate us on your listening app of choice. It does help. And the more reviews, the better. 
So thank you everyone who has left a review. We love reading those. All right, Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadiski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, Crave Jerky, of course, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. Mm-hmm.